Welcome to Tech Talk. Bye. CDT. Welcome to CDT's Tech Talk, where we dish on tech and internet policy while also explaining what these policies mean to our daily lives. I'm Brian Wozolowski, and it's time to talk tech. If you live in the D.C. area, or even if you've just visited, undoubtedly you've noticed that D.C. has a vibrant theater scene. One of the best local theaters is Woolly Mammoth, and this month the theater company is staging a production of The Nether, a play by Jennifer Haley. The, tape, the play takes place in a bleak, gray future, and The Nether is a logical evolution of today's internet, a completely immersive digital world where you can experience just about anything you want, as anyone you want to be, and not just see the world, but join a realm of sights, sounds, touch, taste, and emotions. The play touches on almost every issue CDT deals with in our policy work, especially issues of free expression, anonymity, and privacy rights. Of course, these issues are taken a step further in the nether. Today, we're lucky enough to have director Shauna Cooper and dramaturg Kirsten Bowen from the Woolly Mammoth Theater joining us to talk about their production of The Nether. Later in this episode, our director of free expression, Emma Lonzo, will explore issues of law, policy, and norms in the increasingly digital and virtual world with them as well. Thanks so much for joining Tech Talk, Shauna and Kirsten. Thanks for having us. So I had a chance to see the nether. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was incredible. And it's one of those plays that you feel a lot of emotions and a lot of times you're even uncomfortable in it. How did you decide to put on a production of this performance or this play? Uh, okay, well, uh, uh, the nether was, I've been at Woolly Mammoth as our literary director. Uh, this is Kirsten for almost three years now and uh, I remember this was one of the first plays that was handed to me when I joined the staff as a play that I was instructed to read and then proceed to get <laughs> and uh, it took us a little bit longer because it's had a couple of wonderful productions in other cities but Woolly Mammoth we do first of all we do new plays we do world premieres and Washington DC premieres and the plays that tend to draw us are not only plays that really push boundaries stylistically and formally that are theatrical, uh, that tell a story in a unusual way, but also plays that cause us to question and that provoke, that are very thoughtful and hard-hitting, uncomfortable, and this play just had all of that in spades. It's definitely a woolly mammoth play in that it does attack its subject from a rather, uh, in a rather left-handed way. <laughs> and just in terms of the, the, uh, the structure of it, it's, it's structured like a procedural, but it unfolds in a rather, in a way that kind of makes you have to lean forward. And the, the subject matter of it is, makes one uncomfortable, makes one question what your preconceived notions I think before uh, of what you thought about a subject before and then you come out on the other side maybe thinking a little bit I don't know if you think about it differently but in a in a new way and uh, in a more kind of open and thoughtful way that's something that we definitely go for as well in the plays that we choose great so I mean you touched on this a bit it touches on the play touches on morality respect legality and you know love in a virtual world can you talk a little bit about the challenges of addressing these sort of these tough issues in uh, a setting that is both you know meant to be virtual and real world absolutely yeah I'll take this this is Shauna um, I think one of the biggest challenges actually 
was that the content is so subversive and brings up a lot of uh, tricky moral questions that Jennifer is asking us to wrestle with. But at its heart, I really believe the play is a love story. And we talked about this a lot. So I think I think one of the biggest challenges for me was how to create a world where audiences would be so compelled by it and invested in the relationships that happened in that virtual, non-real space that they would, in spite of themselves, um, if not support, sort of accept the relationships that were happening there to the extent or be sympathetic or empathetic to the relationships that were happening there that were things that that normally, morally, they would absolutely be opposed to. But because those existed in a realm where they were in fact not real and thus not threatening in terms of real world consequence necessarily, depending on how you think about it, um, that they would be uh, compelled by it and thus complicit in the action of the play and have to wrestle more deeply. Doing that though, and also like having people be truly um, empathetic to the love stories that are at the heart of this play, I think was the biggest challenge because of the subversiveness of the material. But it's a challenge that I love. I mean, right, that's why why we go to the theater. Could you go into the the staging of this a little bit more? I thought that it was a you had an interesting challenge of having to create the physical world and then the virtual world. And in this case, as you've said, the the physical world is suddenly this awful, bleak place. And I hope that technology does not take us to a place where that's the case. But then, of course, the virtual world is, you know, maybe what we remember or we think of like present day or like think of the past when we were kids, a beautiful place with trees and fantasy and all that sort of stuff. Um, how did you go about staging that and create it so that it was clear to the audience or the transitions were worked in the play? I thought you did a spectacular job. With it. Thank you. Yeah, that the the big challenge of the play is how do you move at lightning speed really in between these two locations, one being an interrogation room, which does feel like, um, based on everything you learn in the text, wants to be uh, bleak. Um, a a sense of isolation and uh, kind of um, despair that seems to just sort of exist in the future world as it now exists in the nether. People spend 80% of their time in the virtual world is what we learn in this in this future and so it seemed important that well, it's an interrogation room to begin with, so those are not cheery places <laughs> of themselves, but that in the future they really become just devoid of anything human. And then in contrast, the hideaway and probably many different realms in um, this future internet is everything we no longer have, everything we're nostalgic for in the way that you just described. I love that idea that it's like the things from our childhood, the things from the past, um, things like beautiful nature and uh, birds. Yeah, the tree. Um, And uh, we thought about that a lot in terms of sounds, like sounds of music boxes and um, 
you know, in what are the things in a little girl's bedroom that would turn it into a little girl's dream, which is how it's described in the play. And so I think there really is an aspect of nostalgia that exists in the hideaway that that everyone, we want everyone to be able to tap into. So um, I would be interested in knowing how working on this play has changed both of your perspectives, you know, as creative leads for it. How did it move you? That's a very interesting question. I think that working on this play, I don't know if I had any necessarily preconceived notions about uh, what it, the consequences of going of online, going online, and the actions that we take there. And but it definitely it's op- as as the production dramaturg a lot of my job is providing contextual information and and research for the creative team and just kind of really diving deeply into these worlds through internet, book research, f- film, video. And this was a particularly interesting journey and in just it making me think about all the new ways I think that we're affected by by technology and virtual reality. And I guess one thing I, there's a lot, there, more and more we talk about how uh, the vir- virtual spaces are make are they making us less human are they making us less connected to to who we are you know to our you know our friends our family our um our loved ones and i never i think that one of the really great strengths of the play is that it doesn't take a side in either of those directions and it also op- it offers up if anything an alternative view that these spaces can be just as real as as the ones that we you know occupy in like the flesh and blood, and that they can they can be sanctuaries, they can be places where we can actually be free to be the person who we can't necessarily be in you know our, our real life. Yeah, as Kirsten was talking about the play, I think really at the heart of it is exploring this question of how uh, technology is impacting our humanity. And I think when we began this process, I was coming more from a place of feeling like technology, certainly at least in my own life, was limiting my relationships with other people and the depth of those relationships and um, the amount of intimacy uh, that that would happen that in a way technology was a distraction from the true intimacy of face-to-face exchanges but through rehearsing this play I think I really came out on the other side uh, through a lot of the things that that Kirsten mentioned the play gets at because I think the play makes a beautiful argument for the way in which certain virtual spaces can create opportunities for relationships that could never exist in the real world and that there is a kind of opportunity to connect beyond form beyond the human form transcend that in an almost spiritual way I think the play is suggesting at times and I bought in I think I I, <laughs> um, I, I guess I would say I still have not had that experience but the play helped me to see and to really believe 
that could be possible. Great. Well, we're going to take a little break here. Thank you so much, Shauna and Kirsten. I'm going to turn it over to Emma Lonzo. Emma actually took part in a post-performance discussion this week titled The New Frontier, Governance, Expression, and Policy in an Increasingly Virtual World. Uh, So we've touched on some of those issues, but Emma and our woolly mammoth friends are going to go deeper now. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us about some of the deeper issues in the play. Um, I've had the the real luxury of actually getting to see the play a couple of times, and I've been so impressed by the sheer wealth of tech policy issues that the playwright managed to pack into the play, um, but in a way that really felt dynamic like it wasn't uh, it didn't feel exposition heavy there were you know great scenes that sort of lay out the the legal framework of the play but it doesn't feel like you're sitting down to read a treatise um, so I was wondering what what do you think about when putting on a play like this how to keep that kind of big information download um, dynamic and and something that the audience can really kind of start sinking into the plot while they're also really getting that context for the world the main word is stakes. That's the thing we talk about all the time in rela- in in rehearsal, which is what's at stake, basically. And in the theater, we're always talking about how do you make the stakes as high as possible, because obviously we're not interested really in watching a couple of characters talking about something that they have low stakes about. That's a low stakes life choice, right? So, um, and this play is... Uh, wonderful in that kind of uh we say shavian way sometimes like shaw would write these plays with just extraordinary arguments at the center of them and 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 jen haley is really uh getting at that i think in the nether and so you have characters who are really fighting for their worldview and at the same time the ex- their way of existence that if they cannot win this argument if they cannot convert the other person to their way of thinking about the world in a way the world is no longer worth living in and so I think absolutely the way that um, these arguments get laid out that are ultimately, I think, in the way that you're talking about, you know, sort of policy arguments, there are life and death questions to these characters. And so we just talked a lot about that in rehearsal. What are the stakes and what are the the points that you're arguing as you might argue in a court of law to defend your point and defend your life, uh, to be more exact? Yeah. Well, and I think because the stakes are so high in the play, the the power dynamics really kind of come to the fore. And one of my questions, you know, the first scene starts out, as we've talked about, it's an interrogation. You've got one character, Detective Morris, who's got another character, you know, in an interrogation room. But it's not really clear on whose authority any of this is happening. So, and I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, you know, the, the character who's being interrogated is asking for his lawyer. And I'm like, that's right. He's got a right to have counsel in the room with him when he's being questioned. But what, so how did you, how did you think about that? Where this, this happens, this play seems to happen in the future, but also in just contexts that are pretty different from the procedurals that we all see on TV. They are. I mean, Detective Morris does end up laying out 
who she is and 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 upon whose authority she's there i think it's a few scenes in but really the people who have given her the authority to be there are essentially their um online community you know they've passed this referendum i mean if we are to believe her that's the other question right is that she could be making all of that up and i think that's one of the ways in which the play is so fascinating is that Sims, who is the character that in a way we should side with the least because of his um, really uh, offensive, I think to all people, moral um, impulses, uh, he is actually the one who has a stronger leg to stand on legally at the beginning. And then all the way through, it it kind of it's like a game of cat and mouse in terms of who has the stronger argument and I think it's one of the ways that Jen gets us really in the middle of this play is that just when you're starting to side with Morris and she's laying out a strong argument Sims comes in and he just turns the table and you can't help but admit the truth of it um so it is it does seem to be a future where legality is maybe a a little um more vague in terms of what determines that but there are still rules and laws in this future I mean I think Jen is purposely creating a future that you know could be 24 hours from now that is imminent um, in terms of how all these questions affect our lives and um, Kirsten, we've talked a little bit about kind of your research process already, but I'd, I'd love to hear some more about that. Of, there's so many different issues in this play and so many different, it's just really impressive the way Jen Haley is able to kind of in a couple of pages hit what takes like 15 staff members at CDT to cover all of those issues. Um, so how did you approach kind of diving into the wealth of internet policy questions that she's raising? And then kind of follow up, was there anything about the way our legal system currently works that surprised you? Sure. Um, I have to admit, we, I, we probably didn't do quite as deep a dive into internet policy as Jen Haley did or as, you know, um, or definitely, as you know, Emma, uh, a lot of our research, it, because there, it the play, as you said, does bring up so many different issues. I mean, the things we were covering were not only uh, about internet policy and and virtual reality and virtual spaces, what they look like, how they can be used, but also the psychology of being a pedophile, with someone with these tendencies, and where that ex how how that exists online, how that exists in real life. It's funny. A lot of the uh, we have we, we keep a lot of our research on this this blog and uh, that um, and we were finding a lot of our sections were just were being you know were overlapping with each other. So a lot of the work that we do tends to be well, what will feed this this actor's process? And so we try not to be too nitty gritty and uh, and take and just uh, and overwhelm them with too much information that's not going to be helpful. And but. We were, I think, we were surprised by a lot of the how old some of the laws were, and how a, there was a, a, a lot of the lack of oversight there seems to be, and that we haven't. It seems in the world of the play that we've, at wherever we are, whether it's next week, whether it's 100 years from now, it seems that 
the world is kind of caught up a little bit more with technology and the pace of these questions that are being asked. So I think it was surprising. Just we had one day where we were trying to track all the laws in terms of, of obscenity and pornography and like what is obscene and what what is and pornography, what is illegal, but also just how many of these laws had been put forward, but then also been repealed because they found they were going a little bit too far. We were also... Uh, driving into questions of of policing as well and just we're interested to find too that a lot of these uh, sites seem to be not policed much by the government but by the actual the onus was on the actual um, uh, you know the commercial like the owners themselves and I think we found in in an article I believe it was in Wired that was a major (laughs) source of research for us that a lot of the reasons that, that they also do this, why they have, for instance, uh, um, uh, I'm now I'm, I'm blanking on on the actual term of the person who does this, but people like who are uh, the policing content on YouTube and on you know Facebook and Google, just uh, uh, that uh, a lot of this is done not nece- for necessarily like a moral reason or you know to protect people, but so that like for commercial reasons, so that people you know, will not, will continue to use that site and not be, you know, find material that they find, uh, like, upsetting and offensive. And also, too, how a lot of these um, content watchdogs are people who are employed overseas as well. Uh, And, uh, you know, the same, like, way that we, you know, have, you know, sweatshop labor, we also have people, like, you know, in the Philippines as well, who are having to kind of just trawl through all of the just kind of awful like horrifying detritus that we just that create we create and put on the internet yeah there's a a fantastic article on the verge um actually published just this week that was exactly about this what (laughs) sort of what happens to the content moderator who sees the horrifying Mm -hmm. video or the horrifying post and you kind of have to remember that it is humans behind almost all of the really kind of qualitative analysis that goes into content moderation online um, because it is it is this case that you're you're talking about where it's um, the 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 companies creating their terms of service and enforcing them that can go much further than what the government could restrict um, and so that's that kind of dynamic that power dynamic again right are are we talking about somebody who's empowered by the law to silence this speech or to try to restrict this expression versus what companies are free to do. Um, and yeah, the, these questions of how do you actually implement that at scale um, can be kind of eye-opening when you re- start realizing like, oh, but it's a lot of, it's people behind this, um, which actually kind of ties into another uh, question that I had for you all. So. The theme of identity is huge throughout this play. There's a, it deals with people in the offline world, avatars that they have in the nether, um, and there's a lot of just kind of question about depictions, representations, what's happening in imagination versus reality, and the lines all start getting very blurred. Um, how did you approach kind of presenting that in what, at the end of the day, is kind of a, th- a live action theater in a, that's very physically kind of physically constrained um, but is trying to represent these kinds of these big fuzzy questions about reality versus unreality when we're all sort of sitting there in a theater watching using our imaginations hmm, that's such a big question um, so 
we had a couple of conversations in rehearsal just to help the actors track this question of who am I when there is someone else in this play who is my other half, you know, who is my avatar. And one thing that we found useful was the realization that there were times in the play that they were thinking as themselves and speaking as themselves. And then there were times in the play that they were thinking and speaking more as their their other half, whether that be the real person or the avatar. And that was just an interesting dichotomy. And it's not like you would necessarily see completely the physical manifestation of that on stage. However, there are times when a certain character, I'm, I think I'll stick away from names so we don't give things away, but, but a certain character will shift in their rhythm, in their physicality, in their attack of language, because it really feels like their real world person is speaking through the avatar at that moment, you know, and there's a shift in language and the, ma- the, and the way they make the arguments, all of these things, that it became very clear that um, someone other than the the sort of superficial form of the person was speaking in that moment. Uh, So that was one way we explored it. And then there's this moment towards the end of the play when one of the avatars um, disappears, sort of disintegrates. I can't remember what the description is in the script of what happens to her. But as we were, uh, the sense that this um, avatar, this character in the virtual site sort of starts to malfunction in some way. And so an interesting question was, how do we create that image with a real person and yet sort of transition from the real to the unreal in front of our eyes and that was a place where projections were really helpful and we started playing with a lot of ideas of projecting on people and how do you then take that projection and start to pixelize it and uh, and then the big thing that I felt like was important in that question of tracking an image of a person from the real to the unreal is the way in which there is a loss in that there is a death in that and how to create a kind of emotional relationship to that event versus it simply being a um, technical or visual journey. Um, And did you find yourself drawing on any of your own experiences or in working with the cast with kind of their experiences of technology and of kind of the internet as it affects their relationships, how much did that sort of, because the nether is so far advanced from what we have today, you know, even the kind of the cutting edge of VR is not what we have in um, what we hear the nether described to be of being this, you know, it's more real than real kind of feeling. Um, so how how relevant was kind of everyone's sort of day-to-day or pre-existing experience with technology in trying to create that future world? Well, one simple example was the child um, who's playing Iris in the play uh, in this moment I was just mentioning where Iris malfunctions we were trying to figure out what should happen with her physical form in the space and she started to do this thing where she would just sort of go away in her eyes you know that was quite eerie and when we were having a conversation about it she talked about 
her siblings and friends who play a lot of video games and and she does not happen to be someone who does but she talked about the experience of watching them and sort of watching what happens to them and watching her mom try to you know get through to them (laughs) when they're in the zone of the game and so I think that experience certainly impacted the choice that she made that I think is quite an effective choice and it really um, it's a simple thing, but it, it really registers on stage, and I think she's absolutely drawing from her life in that moment. Yeah. And so after studying this play and kind of living with it and its themes and all of the complicated questions that it raises, how do you feel about the future of the Internet? <laughs> Are there any kind of big issues that this play raised for you that you thought, wow, this could, this could either go really in the wrong direction or maybe there's a lot of promise. What would, what would you recommend to a group like CDT that we <laughs> really keep our, keep our eyes on? I think, well, for me, the internet is not going anywhere, definitely. I th- and I think, if anything, what this play has definitely cements for me is that it's, it, it does, it just now the way that we use technology we're we're starting to change i also i think as shana was alluding to before our viewpoints of of how uh how far apart how close it keeps us relationships can now be conducted i think completely by by a text between two people and the you know that can still be a very valid and intimate and close conversation I think that for me, what what always troubled me the most about what the world that Jen was presenting in this play was it always the lines that I remember always stick out for me is that she your wife wears you know actual cotton and this is Sim's wife and and uh, they drink wine from grapes and how these actual uh, organic you know real world things are no longer in existence so. Uh, I th- I think that the idea that as we kind of go further and further and more deeply into this these virtual worlds and online what are are we still keeping in mind the actual the stakes of living in the real world and how do we how do we kind of keep those um keep the the world that we're living in now just as 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 viable and healthy and and um uh you know a a live place to live as this this world of our imaginations yeah, I love that. Just to tag on to that for a second. I mean, I think when we were building this show and creating all of the worlds that exist in the hideaway, the most challenging one to create is the scene that takes place outdoors in a grove of trees. And that was mainly because we there's just no way to compete with the real thing. You know, there's a kind of uh, healing and joy and um, tangible health that you soak up from being around real nature and no matter how pretty the image was it could never completely convey that you know that I was struck by that as we were working on the play and it's one of the very particular things from the real world that the characters talk about missing I think they say that several times I miss the trees and that line is always so heartbreaking to me because we can see the potential for that all around us and so I think absolutely the warning of this play is protect the trees 
uh, invest in the trees. You know, Colin, our lighting designer, um, he what he did the morning after the nether opened was he went and planted trees in D.C. Uh, we did part of our uh, design, our first design conference. We created one of those um, parking parking lots. There's this this day called Parking Day that's all across the country where you turn parking spots into parks. And so we did that out in front of Woolley just to to invest in a kind of green space in the middle of our city. So I think that that is a real challenge that the play leaves us with. And then on the positive, in terms of technology, I think the play is reminding us that if we invest in our relationships, wherever those may be, online or off, that is where our hearts are. And um, there actually does not need to be a cost as long as your priority is the health of the relationship. Um, so I think benefits and costs to the future of technology as, as we know. Great. Well, thank you both so much for uh, talking with us some more about the amazing and really thought-provoking uh, concepts and ideas that have come up in this, this wonderful play. Thank you. Thanks for having us.